Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Inspired by the presence of Captain Jack Youngblood, playing in pain with his broken leg. A savage Ram defense. They hand it to Steven. Great jump cut. 45 seconds. There's a whole burst to it. 20. Side steps to tackle. Runs left. 25 still to feet. 46 yard goal by number 39. Running back, number 29, Eric Dickerson. Johnny Hecker, a high school quarterback, is going to throw. The fake is on it. He's got a first down to Stephen Bailey. Mike Jones made the tackle. And the Rams have won the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Rams Talk Radio with Derek C. Apollo and Michael Stewart. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Apollo. All by my lonesome tonight. Getting out the latest news for the Rams, including their practice squad signings. Also getting with you on, well, a couple more of our tour and league interviews. I promise you'll get these out. I'm getting them out to you. Here we go. Not going to mess around. We're going to go through these 14 practice squad Signings, and also want to talk about the team captains for you. Also today, again, Steelers, Ravens, they're they're going to be our previews. First things first, though, when I ask you to hit Apple Music, leave us a five-star review. really appreciate that. Also, don't forget to subscribe. But before we get going, I want to go ahead and give our props out to our sponsors. We're partnering right now with Thrive Fantasy. It is a really cool app. All right, so come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this football season. They are a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props. With Thrive, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus only on the top tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Choose 10 out of 20 player props to build your lineup. Each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and under based on how likely it is to hit. Hit the most props, rack up the most points, and you win a share of the prize pool. Thrive is on 140,000 guaranteed dollars. In prizes for week one and is awarded over $4 million. Thrive's featured 100K guarantee contest is $20 to enter. And first place takes home $20K. This is how you get involved. Use the promo code TALKRAMS at thrivefancy.com or get on their app. Again, Thrive Fancy on their app or thrivefancy.com. Promo code TALKRAMS and you'll receive a 100% instant first deposit match up to $100. Okay, this is a great opportunity for you to jump in a really cool app and also help us out as well to check out, again, that's Thrive Fantasy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So here we go. The, the practice squad is made up of the following 14 names. Landon Akers, wide receiver. Otis Anderson, runner back, running back. Kendall Blanton, tight end. Chandler Brewer, he opted out last year. Great to see him back. Ernest Brown, the fourth. He was the only draft pick to not make the team. And there seems to be some... You know, some upside for him that they can develop. So glad he's back. Marquise Copeland, Dante Dean, we like him. I mean, I'm glad he's back as well. Jerome Cologne, Jeremiah Cologne, JJ Koski, Kareem Moore, defensive back, Tyler Hall, defensive back, 
Micah Kaiser, one of the surprise cuts he does get back as a practice squad piece. We'll wait and see what happens with him there. Justin Lawler, who had a good preseason to start and kind of, you know, didn't produce as much towards the end. With the lack of death right now, don't be surprised if he's up. Max Percher, the international program, he's back as well. That's our 14 and 15 running back Buddy Howell. Running back Buddy Howell. So he's the first player for a different team. And uh, again, shout to Ramswire for this write up on it. They did a good job as well. Okay. Jared Hawker, guard. So there's your let your list right there. <sighs> Doesn't surprise me. These this is a a practice squad that has a lot of talent there. Most of these were Rams who were cut. I mean, we, there's a lot of these guys that we like. Could have made the team on different years. All right. Now, the eight team captains for this year. Here we go. Punter, Johnny Hecker. Wide receiver, Cooper Cup. Offensive lineman, Andrew Whitworth. Wide receiver, Robert Woods. Cornerback, Jalen Ramsey. Defensive lineman, Aaron Donald. And there's one more. One more. Oh, two more. Matthew Stafford. Almost forgot him. How can I almost forget him? But the one I want to talk about is Jordan Fuller, the safety. We're talking about a guy who was drafted in the sixth round last year. Surprised everybody the performance in the season. Earned himself a starting gig. Now has earned himself a captainship. What a neat thing. This is a lot about Jordan Fuller's character. How the team views him and his future on the squad. And I think that's pretty... Pretty cool to see. I, I'm guessing this means they they are happy with his continued progress and his continued development into this year, and that it's not just a one-year flash in the pan. I'll take that. I think that's pretty freaking cool. I'm sure you guys will take it as well. So hats off to all eight, but I want to give a special shout-out to the Buckeye Jordan Fuller for making us all proud in Ohio State land. Okay. So moving on, we're going to get over to Al Kazora from Sewers Depot who gave us a pretty great preview of the Pittsburgh Steelers for the tour in the league. Check it out. All right, folks, we here the Alex Cazora from the SteelersDepot.com. He's been one of our go-to guys here in the last couple of years for the Steelers, and we're entering a season where it's a little surprising to me. I don't really view the Steelers as a favorite in the division right now. I kind of feel like the Browns are. Maybe you could tell me if I'm wrong, but... Right away, I guess I'll ask a question. Who's the favorite right now in this division? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's Pittsburgh. And you're right, it's a weird situation because usually when I come on and we talk about the Steelers, they're the favorites or right up there, 1A, 1B kind of thing. But I don't think that's the case this season for a couple reasons. I think the Steelers roster got worse. Now, I don't think it was the necessarily total bloodbath. You know, they were able to keep guys like Vince Williams, Tyson Alualu, Cam Sutton, Juju Smith-Schuster was a big and pleasant surprise, but they lost key pieces like Bud Dupree, cornerbacks Mike Hilton, Steven Nelson, Nelson being a big shock to me, and just the total makeover of an offensive line that's going to carry as many question marks in 2021 as any offensive line in football, especially after the release of David DeCastro, which again, another big surprise of the offseason. And you look at Cleveland, who I think had a really good offseason with the creation acquisitions of guys like uh, John Johnson. They showed up the secondary with Greg Newsom. Uh, the Ravens, I think, are ahead of you know, plateaued a bit. They lost some guys, Judon, but they got some guys like Bateman and just had, a, I think, kind of a, a wash of an offseason. And so when you look at the Steelers taking a step back, the Browns going forward, Baltimore still being steady, consistent, strong, and I think having a decent offseason um, doesn't mean Pittsburgh can't compete. doesn't mean they won't compete. I think they'll be somewhat in the mix in Week 17, Week 18 versus the Browns and Ravens may define who will win the AFC North and how it will shake up and shake out. But uh, I think it's very fair to say the Steelers are not the favorites for the first time in, in a little while. Just because this is more recent, why why Del Castro? Where where did this come from? Yeah, um, apparently, and you kind of hear more about things obviously after they happen. But he needs another ankle surgery. His third, he's been battling bone spurs. He had an ankle surgery back in January 2020. Thought hopefully that would heal him. It didn't. He played last season through a lot of pain. Had a core muscle injury as well, and just had his worst season by far in the NFL, and obviously a lot of it was injury-related, and so he's going to need a, a third surgery. They'd probably keep him out at least two months, if not longer. 
I think the Seagulls just realized that either A, he wasn't going to be available, or B, he was going to probably play hurt or try to you know get back on the moving train there sometime in September and just realized that uh, probably wasn't going to have a, a good version of David DeCastro. But uh, just unfortunate reality, playing offensive line, playing the NFL for almost a decade, your body just begins to break down. So hold on, Mitch. They, the Steelers saw that he was health-wise a potential issue and they let him go, even though he's been there for a long time, six-time Pro Bowler, if I'm correct. Correct, yeah. Yeah, six-time Pro Bowler. Yeah, the, the timeline of it is definitely weird because the big question is why was he cut now and not in March, for example? Um, that's still a little murky, but it appears that they thought and hoped that just with the rest of the offseason, maybe another surgery, that, that he would be okay. And then um, I guess sometime when he got to minicamp a couple of weeks ago, he told the team you know, he was having issues with his ankle. They had an MRI and realized he was going to need a third surgery. So I think they were kind of gambling and hoping that things would heal on their own with rest, as they usually do with this type of injury, but unfortunately not the case with the Castro. So what is the status of the Steelers' offensive line right now, especially given who they're trying to protect? It's a big old question mark, Derek. I wish I had a good answer for that. Um, the projected starters left to right, things can can and probably will change, but it'll be Chuck Wilmer core for left tackle, Kevin Dotson left guard, probably the rookie Kendrick Green at center or veteran B.J. Finney, Trey Turner, who they signed to replace David DeCastro at right guard, and Zach Banner at right tackle. In Steelers uniforms, that group combined has just 25 total starts. There's a lot of moving, a lot of shaking. New offensive coordinator, new head offensive line coach, new assistant offensive line coach. So um, I wish I could tell you exactly how this line's going to look. I couldn't, though. I don't think anyone can right now. I don't think they can be as bad of a run-blocking unit as they were last year just because of how abysmal they were. But how much better they'll get, I don't know. Will they take a step back and pass through? I think that they will. And not only just how they play individually, but collectively as a starting five. You know, offensive linemen, they have to have great cohesion and play as one. If one guy fails, they all fail kind of mentality. So I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains. There's some talent there for sure with guys like Dotson and, and, and Banner and the rookie Kendrick Green, but... Just so much newness there, so much change, so suddenly I think it's going to make for a bumpy ride. So when you're talking about the offensive line and you have an aging franchise quarterback, how are you, how is the feeling around Steelersville here about, about, ben Roth, about Ben's success this year? Yeah, um, I'm not as pessimistic on Ben as some of the national media are. Um, obviously, he had his pitfalls last year, and he's not getting any younger and, and, and those obvious type things. But um, hopefully the offense will have more balanced issue just because, again, I can't see this run game being as bad as it was a year ago because they could not run the ball worth a lick after the first month of the season. And so with the changes along the offensive line, with, I think, uh, a good scheme overall. I like the addition of the promotion of Matt Canada and, of course, the draft pick of Najee Harris. Hopefully that'll bring some more balance and efficiency to the Steelers' offense. But, um, yeah, for sure, um, you know, Ben's mobility's been a big question mark and lack of play action and those kind of things and how that'll mesh with a new OC in Matt Canada, who is kind of that college feel is going to be, I think, one of the big question marks and, and it, interesting things to look at for this season. But, um, yeah, uh, just for an offensive line that's shaky for a quarterback who doesn't really move at all these days, is certainly a recipe for potential disaster. But what kind of answers did the Steelers find in the draft? Are you talking about offensive line or just Overall at this point, because it, it yeah. seems like there's trouble in paradise in Pittsburgh. Yeah, uh, in terms of the draft approach, it was offense, offense, offense. Their first four picks went offense for the first time, I believe, since 1984. And that started, of course, with Najee Harris. I know there's a lot of debate about, you know, is running back worth the pick in the first round and those kind of things. But but I think in this situation it was because Harris is not just a runner. He's a great receiver, really probably even underrated receiver, a good blocker. And Mike Tomlin really wants to have that, that feature back, that lead guy, three-down type of player, which Le'Veon Bell, of course, was. And I think Harris in a lot of ways compares to Le'Veon Bell, and so I think that was a fine pick. There were no obvious offensive linemen that they just couldn't pass on at that spot anyway. The next offensive lineman who went after the Steelers pick was pick 37 overall. They were 24, so um, there wasn't someone staring them in the face. Pat Fryermuth in the second round, tight end. Um, I'm just glad they invested in tight end. It's the first time they've taken a tight end in the top four rounds since 2007, so a really long time since they invested heavily in the position draft-wise, and so I don't think his upside is super uh, immense. I think he's a Hayden Hurst, Austin Hooper type of upside guy, but a well-rounded tight end um, who's a good blocker and, and has a really strong pair of hands. And then they finally took a couple of offensive linemen in Kendrick Green um, from Illinois, who played primarily guard in college, but will play center in all likelihood 
in Pittsburgh. I have my reservations about him, but he's athletic, he's strong, he's quick. I think he fits well in the Steelers, kind of more zone blocking scheme they're probably going to go towards. And then Dan Moore Jr., offensive tackle out of Texas A&M, probably won't play or start this season unless there are injuries, but hopefully a guy that could compete next year, especially knowing that a a left tackle or core for is set to be a free agent after this season. So when you're looking at the defense here, where are the Steelers in terms of the division? Can this defense carry them through some potential rough times, especially early next year? I think they can. It's still a very good defense, and I think Derek, the best thing about this defense is they're opportunistic. They make plays because I think the philosophy in today's NFL just can't be, you know, because the way offenses move the football with with the spread system and, and the rule changes and things like that. I mean, more points were scored last season than any other year in NFL history. So, to me, a defense they're going to give up yards, they're going to give up points. Those things are almost inevitable. But once they can create pressure and create takeaways, steal a possession. Uh, win in the red zone, take the ball away there, or you know, give your offense a short field, just give you that extra possession uh, a game could, could be the difference, and often it is. So the Steelers still have that mentality of a really good pass rush. They've had 50-plus sacks in four straight seasons. Um, it's a really remarkable streak. I think it's a good chance they repeat that mark in 2021. While there are more question marks in the secondary this year than there have been in the last two years, there's still, of course, talent there with Joe Hayden and Minka Fitzpatrick, and Cam Sutton was a quality um, resigning. So we'll see what young guys step up there. That'll be really important this, this year for some of the sub-package type of roles. But it's still a good defense that will get pressure, that will take the football away. And I think those two things are critical to be a good defense in, in uh, today's NFL. Now, how's the schedule this year stack up for the Steelers? Uh, well, the stats say it's the hardest in the league. Obviously, when you play the AFC North and you, you get really competitive teams like Baltimore and, and Cleveland, um, that's going to kind of lend itself to being tough out of the gate. But yeah, it's a tough schedule overall. The end of the season is brutal. I think five of their final six games this year are against playoff teams last season, and the only exception to that is Minnesota, which is a borderline playoff team, and the Steelers have not been good in December the last couple seasons, so they're going to have to end the year much better than they have in seasons past. But uh, it's a it's a pretty difficult slate of games in terms of just who the opponent is. But I, but I don't worry about that stuff a whole lot because you know things will change so much. Teams you think were, were going to be good won't be good and vice versa. So um, on paper it looks tough, but... I'm just focused on week one and go from there. Yeah, I'm just eyeballing week 13 through 17. I mean, that's, yeah, that brutal. is, my gosh, that's brutal. I know the Rams yeah. have a tough one this year, but don't I, my, to end the mm. year? Oh. Yeah, uh, and like I said, week 17, week 18, week 17 versus the Browns, week 18 versus Baltimore, those two things, those two games will probably define who ends up where in the North. I mean, Baltimore, Titans, Chiefs, Browns. <sighs> Man alive. That is ungodly. And yeah. to start the year, too, by the way, with you know the Bills at Buffalo. Right, and then you'll have Green Bay at some point early in the season. At Green the, Bay. The earlier, yeah, early part of the season isn't as bad, but uh, there are really no quote-unquote easy parts to the schedule. I mean, yeah, you look at the schedule, and I, you know, the Broncos are going to be better. The Bengals mm-hmm. will be better. The Raiders, eh, well. Um... The Bears are going to be better. The Lions will be better. The Chargers will be better. You're playing as a slate of teams that are going to be better for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I, I try not to worry about that stuff too much because injuries and just the, the craziness of seasons will, will, will change the complexion of Week 8 by the time Week 8 actually gets here. But, yeah, it does not look like um, that schedule is going to be uh, real easy. The only upside, I guess, is that Baltimore and the, and the Browns also have some not as difficult schedules, but, but up there. So when you're looking at the team entering 2021, what is the biggest story for the, for the Steelers this year? It's offensive line. It's just how well that unit plays. And I'm not saying they're going to be a bad unit or that they won't ever turn into a good unit. There's talent there. I don't want to be that pessimistic about it. But when you're just undergoing the number of just wholesale changes that this team has had, you just don't really know what you're going to get. Um, and so you hope that this group can come together and play well individually. There's talent there. Kevin Dotson looked really good in four starts last season. I think he's going to be a stud that will start for a long time in the NFL. We'll see how Zach Banner looks, and I think Chuck Wilmer-Corfor is going to be better on the left side. He played right tackle last year to replace Banner, but I like him on the left side more because he's a natural left tackle who played there at uh, Western Michigan. That's kind of his, his natural home and spot. So, um, And then Turner, we'll see what you get there at right guard. There's, there's question marks there, but uh, I, I think as this offensive line goes, so will this offense, and so will this team. All right, so then just I know you're hesitant to do this, but let's go into Predictionville here. Where do you view the Steelers right now? How, how many wins do you have on them for them right now, as it is? You know, things change. And are they a playoff team? Yeah, I'm always 
I always take this this question and answer uh, with a grain of salt because so much can change as, mm-hmm. as you caveated. Oh, but, we know. Uh, I got him. Yeah, <laughs> but I got him as like an eight or nine win team. So I guess that'd be eight or nine or nine and eight somewhere around there in the seventeen game season. Um, again, they could be competitive, and, and one or two divisional games can certainly change the complexion of things quickly. But um, I just think there are so many questions with the offensive line, with some steps back this defense will likely to take primarily in the secondary. Um, and just in a really tough division with a Baltimore team that's always run well against Pittsburgh and a Cleveland team that looks legit. And so those games will be close, competitive. I'm not counting this team out, not saying they can't make the playoffs, but if you're 8-9 or even 9-8, and eight, I think it'll be tough to get in. I mean, I mean, one last thing, I guess, kind of blows me away a little bit is for years, and again, I'm, I'm local to you, so I've yeah. seen it. A half, a, most of my family are Browns fans, some Pittsburgh fans. I'm, I'm the weird Rams fan in the family. But... um. The rivalry was once one of the best in football, Steelers and Browns. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's finally back. Is there at least some kind of level of appreciation for that? Yeah, I think there is. Um, I think you know it's good for football. It's good for the rivalry when, when those teams are good. When the Steelers were just whooping on the Browns for you know, the last decade, basically, um, they just they weren't that interesting of a game. They just were kind of kind of layup contests. There were so many Week Seventeen games where the Steelers were. Benching their starters or the Browns are firing their coaches, you know, four seconds after that game ended. Um, so it's good to see that rivalry back and, and just to see a really healthy and competitive AC North. It's one of the better divisions, maybe the best division in football. So, um, yeah, from that standpoint, I mean, it's good, but it's also bad from a selfish Steelers fan perspective because you want the team, the Browns, to be bad. So you just get a couple easy wins and make sure your, your march of the playoffs is a little bit easier. But uh, that's no longer the case. Yeah, and it caught me off guard. That playoff game caught me off guard big time. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I, to this day, I. I can't even believe that was the final score. Right. It wasn't even the fact that they lost, but just how they lost, of being down 28 nothing after the first quarter. For the first time in NFL history, the Steelers trailed after the first quarter 28 nothing for in their history. Um, just, you know, you could, you could imagine they would have lost that game, but but like that, who would have thought that was going to happen? Never would have thought. All right, Oscar, can you let people know where they can find your work, where they can find anything having to do with SeriousDeepBow.com? Sure. You can follow the site, SteelersDepot.com. We hopefully try to bring the best every single day in analysis and news of the team and our um, just overall perspective on the Steelers. Got a post coming up on that'll be Wednesday on TJ Watt. Broke down all of his third down rushes uh, on third down to see how he wins and some really interesting tells about when he rushes with his hand up and when he rushes with his hand down. Follow me on Twitter as well, at Alex underscore Kozora, K-O-Z-O-R-A. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for, for making it on here. I'm always glad to talk with you. Have a great one. Appreciate it, Derek. Thanks for having me on. Take care. All right. I'm personally with the Steelers. I'm not real keen on them. They're, they're well coached, though. I know people don't really agree with that, but, I mean, they're not a team that will spend a whole lot of cash to give against the cap on certain players and certain things, but... They rely mostly on draft and development, and that kind of thing will, to me, ring familiar with the Rams. The problem is, in the last couple of years, they really haven't hit as much as we thought they would. And now, if you have an aging quarterback, you have a couple guys waiting in the wings, I'm very interested to see what happens with Pittsburgh, especially with the loaded Cleveland Browns team in this division, and Baltimore, of course, is dangerous. I don't know what to think of Pittsburgh. I, I just don't know. I'm still a little shell-shocked from that performance in the playoffs last year, just kind of how they weren't they weren't themselves, I'll say that, throughout much of the last year. So, there's my thoughts on that. Now I want to head over to Baltimore here. 410 Sports, their team, come check them out. Really, really fun preview with them. Here we go. All right, folks, I'm here with James Haskell and Glenn Martin from 410 Sports Talk to cover the Baltimore Ravens in this year's tour around the league. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing good, man. Thanks for having us on. Appreciate it. Likewise, man. Living the dream. <laughs> Living the dream every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. Well, every day we get closer to football season. That's right. Yes, was one day closer. Now, July 1st, record this. We'll have this out sometime during the month. And I guess. I just want to kind of start this off making note that this, this is kind of different than last year. You know, well, last year when we entered 2020, we had COVID going on, we still have COVID going on, but not like it is, not like it was then. 
But also, the Ravens coming off a dominant 2019 almost got to the very end. And then they had circles last year. What have they done in this offseason to fix those struggles? Well, let me, let me take this one, Jimbo, because, you know, I think it's a – well, let, let me just say this. They, di- they didn't have the, I guess, the dominant season that uh, they had in 2019, but they did advance – they did win a playoff game last year, and they, and they didn't, of course, in 2019. So, you know, it, it, from the outset, it kind of looked like a, a bit of a, a you know, down year from the year before, but still a very successful year, a year mm-hmm. in which they still were able to beat the Tennessee Titans in that first playoff game and ultimately fall short the bills but what we found in the bills game is that you know when when a when a team is willing to commit more to the box than the ravens can block the ravens weren't able to counter that by an effective enough passing attack and so what they did to remedy that they did two things they attacked the position group itself by by bringing in different personnel including uh free agent sammy watkins but also you know primarily in the draft by using a first round draft pick on on minnesota receiver rashad bateman who some expected to turn into that number one the Ravens fans have been clamoring for, but also uh, later in the draft, bringing in Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma State, who had a very, very productive career, um, you know, ultra, ultimately a very consistent player throughout his entire career, and they're hoping that that translates to the NFL, but also attacking the coaching staff. They brought in not one, but two wide receiver coaches that are very well respected. Uh, T. Martin, who is a former offensive coordinator at USC. He has a, you know, his son actually just got drafted into the league. Very well respected in the college ranks. Been around for a while, but also uh, getting Keith Williams, who is is really a, you know, one of the better wide receiver coaches to the pros in the league. I mean, he's he's coached a number of All Pros across the league, including um, you know, new Ravens receiver Sammy Watkins, who you know they used to go to Omaha to get one-on-one <laughs> sessions from this guy. So the fact that he is now a permanent fixture in the Ravens coaching staff, and also both of those guys have been have been given some responsibility with helping you know evolve the scheme and and develop this passing game because you know the Ravens can run on anyone, but when they decide they're not going to allow that, you know, teams especially in the playoffs just say we're, we're going to send more than you can block. You have to beat them with outside throwing. And I think this year they've identified that problem and they've done as much as you can do to attack that issue. Yeah, and if I can just add a couple points to that, um, I want to talk about, uh, you know, a lot of people look at the passing game and and just like Glenn articulated, they immediately go to the wide receivers. But last year, Lamar Jackson lost due to injury an all-pro left tackle in Ronnie Stanley and then a Hall of Fame uh, right guard in in Marshall Yonda. But, and, and that... That reared its ugly head in the worst moments, of course, in, in the Buffalo game with the offensive line struggles. The biggest difference to me between 19 and 20 was Lamar's faith in the guys in front of him. And with Bradley Bozeman moving to his natural uh, position at college where he was an All-American in Alabama to center from left guard, pick, drafting Ben Cleveland, bringing in Alejandro Villanueva, and then bringing in Kevin Zeitler, Ronnie Stanley coming back. I mean, I think I don't have the stats, but I'm pretty sure that we will easily be the biggest offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely one of the nastiest and, and a good mix of young, uh, vet, uh, you know, experience up front. And I, and I'm really looking forward to that as well. So I think the offensive line will, will return to dominance similar to the way it did in 19. And I think that will make also a huge difference to, to remedy some of the things that we saw last year. Yeah. I just want to clarify when I'm talking about 2019, 2020, I'm talking about the regular season being dominant, dominant it could be. I mean, it, it actually mm-hmm. caught me off guard when they lost that playoff game. And then they just weren't the same dominant team in 2020. And that's what I'm talking about when, when you look at the two seasons and, and how things were just different. And now I'm looking at the division and I'm seeing a Browns team, which is loaded, a Sewers team that seems to be in flux. And I think the Bengals will be better, I think, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, where do the Ravens sit in all this? Yeah, can I, can I, I'll take this one first, Glenn, yeah. if that's cool. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with you that the, and Glenn's going to laugh at this one, I agree with you that the Cleveland Browns are loaded, all but at one position, and I'm not a believer in Baker Mayfield. I'm just not. Um, I think he needs weapons to succeed. I think Lamar Jackson is a weapon. Um, so to me, while the Browns are extremely complete, I have confidence that that when it comes to head-to-head matchup and even overall record, I think that, and I might be drinking the purple Kool-Aid here. I'll, I'm readily cognizant of that. But I, I feel confident going into those games. 
I think that the Ravens have the best chance in the division to come out with the crown. I think that, you know, Roethlisberger is, is way, I mean, obviously he's way past his prime and, and their offensive line. I don't think, you know, has done too much, too many favors to help him out this year. You know, they picked up Najee Harris, but up front, you know, they got rid of Alejandro Villanueva and they got rid of DeCastro. So I don't know how they're planning on protecting him any better. Uh, and like you said, the Bengals are just a question mark with Joe's injury. And even Zach Taylor, we don't know if he can churn out wins in the NFL. So I think the Ravens, to me, you know, I'm not a betting man, but if I, if I were to take the odds, I would take the odds on the Ravens. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it's between the Ravens and the Browns. The Browns have the most talented roster. It's deep. You can't find a hole on paper on that roster. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. But like Wink Martindale, the D.C. for the Ravens said, took a lot of losing to build that roster. Took a lot of top 10, <laughs> top five picks uh, to get the roster where it is. So, so this, that window, you talk about a window, I think there's certainly closing because once they have to, and I think they ultimately will pay Baker Mayfield because of the numbers he's put up, uh, then we're going to really see the true test on Baker Mayfield. But I think that team is good enough certainly to win this division. It's going to be up to – uh, you know, the Ravens to, to, to continue to, to put them uh, in their place. But it, it's going to be tough, man. They're a mm-hmm. really, really good team. It, it went right down to the wire last year. Now, the Steelers, I think they're set for a, a little bit of a, a slide in their, you know, success because they're, I think their defense is going to be a little bit worse with the loss of Bud Dupree. Uh, I, I think we saw when he went down with injury, that pass rush was a lot different than when he was in there. And then, of course, like you mentioned, Jimmy, the offensive line is where it starts. And if you can't protect Big Ben, who at this point has zero mobility, uh, I don't care how good Najee Harris is. If you're not blocking the guys in front of him, uh, then, you know, there's not a whole lot he can do by himself. So I think it's, the, it's between the Ravens and the Browns, and it's going to go right down to the last week of the season. So looking at, you know, looking at the, the Browns, you guys mentioned that, but don't forget the TV contracts haven't really hit yet for the salary cap. We should see a huge bump in salary cap for next year, and that will – make things softer for everybody in the league, including the Browns. So I think their window's probably open a, bit, open a bit longer than people think it is. And if they're really good numbers, like the Rams, I'm going to toot the horn a little bit. I'm not sure I want to because that means you haven't had first-round first picks in a while. The Rams are good at finding money in the nooks and crannies of every contract. Mm-hmm. I think they're the best in the league at it, by the way. And it's possible to work around those. That's one thing the Rams have proven. But when you're looking at the entire AFC North, and you're looking at how these teams are built, what makes the Ravens stand out to you? Well, I think that they, they, you talk about that coaching staff is phenomenal. I mean, I think Wink Martindale since 2018 has allowed the least amount of points, least amount of yards, uh, you know, incredible tradition of defense here. And then offensively, I know Greg Roman gets criticized a lot, but nobody te- no team has scored more points in the last two years than the Baltimore Ravens. You know, no team has a better uh, – plus minus in the Baltimore Ravens. So I think they're, they're, they're fantastic in the sense that they're bringing back their entire coaching staff, you know, the main parts. They have a couple of positional coaches that, that have went in and out. Uh, but I think, you know, certainly with John Harbaugh, who, who's going down as a, you know, one of the better coaches of all time, leading the way. And then, of course, Lamar Jackson, the ultimate playmaker, like Jimmy mm-hmm. mentioned. There's teams with plenty of weapons, uh, but, but I don't know if anyone has a bigger weapon than Lamar Jackson. And uh, so I think for that reason, you know, it's a quarterback league. You got to have a quarterback, uh, and I think you know, as a Rams fan that, uh, or as, you know, covering the Rams, that Ooh. you'll do just about anything to get a quarterback you think can get you over the hump and get you to that promised land. So I'm riding the fact that we have the best, you know, coaching staff and the best quarterback right now in the division. Yeah, and if I can just add one one other thing to that, um, other than Lamar Jackson and 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 the coaching staff, I think you you also have to look at the the, the back end of that that defense and it being special, the tandem that we have at at corner uh, between Marcus Peters, obviously you know Marcus Peters well, um, and and Marlon Humphrey is is special. Uh, we've talked a lot about Lamar and the offense and things like that, but um, man, those guys are special players and they put a lot of pressure on quarterbacks and and offense, you know, offensive teams to to really play perfect because they'll make you pay for your mistakes. Now, when you are looking at what the team has done. In the, in the offseason, what was what were the team's highs and lows from this draft? If there were any lows. <laughs> sure. Oh. Go All ahead, right. Jimbo. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and the other thing I, that I, I omitted to mention, and this goes right into your question, is what, stand, you know, what, what stands out about the Ravens is we draft so well, in my opinion. And because we draft so well, we have to depend on young guys. And, you know, a big difference between this year and last year, I think that makes a, a, where a team that is veteran heavy 
uh, in comparison to a team that depends so heavily on their young guys is the offseason. We didn't have one last year. So I think that's a distinguishing factor. If you look at our draft class from last year that performed with no offseason, no preseason, just having that for them, I think is going to make a big difference. But, uh, you know, speaking to that, our draft this year, the, the, the low for me, I'll, I'll keep it simple, is Udafe Owe. I'm really concerned that uh, he might not be able to, to translate and actually bring productive you know, production to the NFL. Uh, I do realize that he's raw and he hasn't been playing football very long, but the high for me, and we might have the same exact lows and highs, Glenn, but is the statue of a man that is Ben Cleveland, who is currently listed as, what, 6'6", 350 pounds? 357. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, not too many offensive guards have uh, a big, no belly, by the way. Yeah, exactly. His chest sticks out further than his stomach. I mean, he's an absolute monster. I'm excited to see him mauling people up front to get him in the third round. He's a perfect scheme fit for us. So that was the high for me on the low was definitely, you know, that 31st pick taken Udafe Owe when there were some other players that I liked better on the board. Yeah, and it's funny because he's, he, he, we were disappointed because it's the opposite of what the Ravens usually do. They usually grab productive guys. This guy was not productive from a, stack, a sack standpoint, but this guy ran a 4-3 as a DN who weighs 265 pounds. So he's got the physical tools, he's got the length, he's got the strength, and obviously the speed. Uh, the question is, can his, you know, he's only been playing football for five years. So can they get him up to speed quick enough? Because like Jimmy said, when you lose a Matt Judon, and you lose a Yannick Ngakwe. I mean, you're losing your two best sack guys from the previous year. And really, this was never a team that won with four. It's not like the Rams, where they have Aaron Donald and go out there and push the pocket and do it himself, and Michael Floyd. And, and, and they got guys. They, they, the, Ravens, the Ravens do it with blitzing. They send more than you can block. You know, Wink Martindale blitzes by far more than anyone in the league and, and leaves guys on islands. So... The production doesn't need to come from the front, but it has to come from someone. Someone's got to get to the quarterback. And when you send your, you lose your top two guys in free agency, it's got, you know, you got to replace them with someone. So hopefully Adafe uh, can, can turn that, that, that talent into production on the field. So when you put this trap together, you, you have all the office moves and everything going into what should be the 2021 roster? What scares you about the season and what has you excited about this season? Well, it has me excited is the possibility that what this offense can do. It's already the best run offense in the history of the league. And it's, and it's not really that close. You look at the last two years, they've ran it better, more efficiently than any team in the history of the league. So if they can get that passing offense to catch up a little bit, and by the way, in 2019, just two years ago, Lamar did lead the league in touchdown passes as well as touchdown passes from the pocket. So as they're never going to be up in top 10 for yardage passing, but if they can get back to being that efficient passer that we saw in 2019, I mean, the sky's really the limit because I think, like Jimmy mentioned, that revamped offensive line is, is just big and nasty. We have a, a very deep running back room with J.K. Dobbins and now the, the, the newly uh, highly paid Gus Edwards. And then, of course, Lamar Jackson, who's always the ultimate threat to pull it and run or throw it over your head. If they can get that passing game back to the efficiency level in 2019, I think we're in for another season where the Ravens are the highest scoring team in the league. And we also have high expectations for the defense. So, uh, yeah, I, th I think the, the development mm -hmm. of the passing game has really got me super excited going into this year. Yeah, and I'll tell you what has me most nervous is on the other side of the ball, I mentioned it before in the draft, is how the heck are we going to get to the quarterback? You know, tonight, one, one of uh, our viewers asked us what makes the Chiefs better than the Ravens. And, you know, I talked about uh, them being man-to-man -man beaters and we play man-to-man -man defense. And, you know, last year when we played the, when we played the Chiefs early in the year, uh, we kept bringing the blitz and Pat kept uh, picking it up and dicing us. And every time we, we didn't blitz, we weren't getting home. So he had all day to sit there. So my concern is getting to the quarterback. Now I'm hoping that, uh, Justin, Justin Metabike on the interior can pick up that, you know, can, can pick up, uh, from where he was at at the end of last year and, and apply some interior pressure that Tyus Bowser can, can step his game up from passing, uh, rushing the passer. Uh, and then Calais Campbell can stay healthy, but certainly on the outside it's Udafe and, and, and Pernell McPhee, who's, you know, the, in the twilight of his career. Um, and there's really not much else in the cupboard. Dalen Hayes, who we drafted as well, but you're talking a lot of young guys, a lot of question marks. Um, when, when it comes to, you know, getting to the quarterback on the edge. So that's what has me the most concerned this year. Now, look at the schedule here. How's the schedule pan out for you guys? Are you lucky how, how when, how 
Is that got some other concerns for you? Well, there's one big area of concern, and I think it's a little bit it was surprising when the schedule came out, was the back-to-back against the – so we have a three-game stretch. I'm, I'm pulling up the schedule now where the, the Ravens have to take on the, the Browns, then the Steelers, then the Browns again. And, and when you look at from the Browns' point of view, they have a bye week in between the two Ravens yeah. games. So their only focus is the Ravens for a three-, four-week period uh, I'm not sure how that became a thing. I think it's a, it's definitely beneficial for the Ra- or for the for the Browns to take on the Ravens and you know they play them, they have a bye week, and then they play them again. I think that's a, a tough stretch, and and the Ravens have the Steelers in between the two, which we know is is one of if not the most heated rivalry uh, in football. So I think there's there's some tough stretches. Uh, it, it looks to me like the Ravens are going to have to get out the gate early and and going to have to have some wins early, especially when you look at the Raiders in Week One the Lions in week three, the Broncos in week four. These have got to be wins. There's no doubt about it. They have to sweep the Bengals because this division is super tough. I wouldn't be shocked at all to see them split uh, or, or or even, you know, you never know. You could lose two to a team like the Browns. That's how good they are. Uh, and if that's the case, if you want to win the division, you're going to have to win all these other games that you're supposed to win. But we all know, you know, there's those games where you, you just don't show up. You know, things happen. The ball doesn't bounce your way. Turnovers can make a big impact. But man, I tell you what, that that stretch, Rick, Browns, Steelers, Browns, the season could come down to that stretch. Yeah, and and on the other end of that, what what has me excited is, you know, if you look at week, let's see here, if you look at week five, all the way down to week nine, when we finally, or no, sorry, excuse me, week ten, we have, um, uh, let's we have four games at home with a bye week at week eight, so we have five weeks at home. Um, so we do have that tough stretch, like Glenn mentioned, but having the, those those five weeks at home, including the bye, is pretty rare and and I think pretty exciting for the players to not have to travel to be at home. And we got some tough games in there. I mean, we got you know the Colts who, because they're not in our division, and if you know if us or them are fighting for a wild card, that game means everything. Same thing with the Chargers as well. So it's not just full of. Uh, games that that don't matter. I mean, obviously every game's matter. Every game matters, but those certainly a little bit more. So yeah, I'm excited about that stretch. I mean, I'm looking at your schedule and I'm thinking this is categorically insane. <laughs> week nine, home Vikings. Week ten, at the Dolphins. Week eleven, at the Bears. Week twelve, Browns. Week thirteen, at Steelers. Week fourteen, Browns. Week fifteen, Packers. Week sixteen, okay, yeah, I have the Bengals. Week seventeen, Rams. Week 18, Steelers. That is a gauntlet with mm-hmm. really only one game right now you'd call a win outright. I mean, the Bears are better. Uh, the, the Dolphins were a playoff team last year. I mean, this is, a, this is probably the toughest stretch I've seen on a schedule thus far on all of our tour stops. I mean, the league did you guys no favors. <laughs> no, and, and I don't know. I might be alone with this one. I don't know how the players feel about this, of course, but I want all of it. I like all of it because, I, want, I mean, obviously, barring health, I want them to be tested and ready to go and, and feel great about themselves going into the playoffs. I don't want there to be any narrative like the Steelers had last year when they were, and I was saying it, they were 11-0, and 0 and, and uh, you know, they, what quarterbacks had they played against? They beat us with RG3, a quarterback, by, what was I think, by four points at the end of the day. You know, half our team was on the COVID list. Um, so, and it's, they certainly, you know, turned out to be, you know, not too much of a team when it came to playoff football. So I I like the idea of being battle tested. I'm all right with it. We're a young team. We need it. At least on the offense side of the ball, we're certainly really young and I'm all right with it. Obviously, you know, if we end up with sitting outside the playoffs, I'm not going to be too happy about it, but I I don't envision that happening. All right. Well, speaking of playoffs, make the call. How far do you see this team making the run this year? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question mark because. Ah oh, man, that's a toughie. It's gonna be it's gonna be a gauntlet in the AFC. I think it, it, it's it's just so many good teams. I mean, you talk about a Dolphins team that might miss the playoffs, and they are stacked. Uh, I I'm predicting the Ravens go to the AFC Championship, and I, you know at that point, man, it, it's hard for me until I see it for that for me to pick the Ravens to beat the Chiefs, who I think they'll ultimately uh, play. Um, but look, injuries are a big thing. I mean, you never know. Like in that Steelers, Matt, you mentioned the two Steeler games. Is Big Ben going to be there that late in the season? Who knows? I mean, is he going to hold up? Who knows? Green, Green Bay is is Aaron Rodgers truly going to be the quarterback at that point? Uh, you know, or at any point this season, 
we don't know. So I think it, it, a lot of things can change, obviously. But right now, I would say the Ravens should be shooting for no worse uh, than the AFC Championship. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to let you know that the Ravens are making a stop at old SoFi uh, on February 13th. And I'm planting my flag in it. You can call me a homer. You know, I, I, got, uh, I, got, I got the purple Kool-Aid going straight into the IV. But uh, I think we got a legitimate shot. I think we got as good of, if not better than, shot than pretty much any team out there. I think we got our, an argument uh, that we can beat anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking us to all the way to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I sound like such a homer, but I don't care. Um, I, I, I believe that I have legs to stand on when I, when I make that prediction as well. But, uh, yeah, I'm going for it. I'm planting my flag in, in, in SoFi Stadium, Baltimore Ravens purple. I think we're going there. Uh, well, as long as you don't do what Baker Mayfield did at Ohio State years ago. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, uh, keep it Super Bowl friendly. Lamar Jackson right. is the antithesis of Baker Mayfield. <laughs> All right. So, guys, can you let people know where they can find your work? Because, you know, we're going to track the, all of our opponents this year down the whole way. Well, hopefully we can have you back on when the, when the Ravens and Rams get closer. Uh, but as far as following us, you can find us at 410 Sports Talk or 410 uh, Sports Talk on YouTube, uh, as well as uh, on Facebook at the same place, 410 Sports Talk. And then on Twitter, 410 underscore Sports Talk. You can find us there. Uh, but yeah, we're looking forward to this season. We're about to enter the lull of the season. I hate this time of year. As soon as basketball and hockey are over, it's just baseball until the season starts. So come on, NFL season. Let's get here. Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to that, you can also find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts as well. Um, check us out. But Glenn, yeah. you're absolutely right. We appreciate you having us on, man. Yeah, you're well. You're welcome. And thanks for thanks for the invite. As well. And I just I hate to say this. I hate I hate to bring it up. I mean, you mentioned that lull. You're talking about it's only baseball left. I think well, of course, because you guys only have the Orioles right now. Yeah. Hey, 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 hey now, hey now, <laughs> hey, hey, hey now. <sighs> Listen, I'm having your I'm having your boy Josh Soroka on tonight for for the Angels side because okay. the Angels um, Orioles series is coming up. But I, I just look it's not it's not the easiest time to be a, an Orioles fan, but they're in a rebuild. It seems like they got the correct guys at the top, hopefully, <laughs> and the the farm system finally is respectable. You know, this isn't like when the the Orioles were only winning sixty games and they had the worst farm system to boot. Uh, so, hey, there's hope at the end of the tunnel, and uh, that's all we have for now. Hey, I'd say this. At least your team isn't wasting the career of one of the all-time greats for the past decade and now looking like they're going to waste another one's career as well. Is Shohei, gonna, is Shohei just need to be a hitter, or do you, do you foresee him continuing to be this hitter slash pitcher? Oh, that was the condition for the Angels to get him. Oh, okay. As long as he does it, as long as... I mean, that was one of the deciding factors is, you know, many teams across the league weren't willing to let him do both. And, mm. and um, for the exception of yesterday, he's been phenomenal both ways this year. As long as he stays healthy, I can't see a reason why not. Okay. It's going to be interesting because he's a $300 million guy just as his bat. So we'll see what happens uh, there. Absolutely. Oh, but the thing about him is he's such a perfectionist that he's not even scratching the surface yet of, of how good he's going to be. Yeah, like he's, he, he's incredible. I mean, he, like, the, the discipline he brings to everything involved, like, it's, really, it's truly a sad thing that he's been injured the last couple of years because what he would be right now, if you think he's good now, imagine how good he would have been without the injury. Yeah, yeah I mean, get, no doubt. Get, because he's so devoted to his craft. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen a guy pitch seven innings, then finish the game in right field. I mean, that is just, <laughs> I mean, what right the there. hell is going on and here? And they got it. And they gotta get that straight with him too, because that really hurts. I mean, they have him hitting like second or first in the lineup. Then they gotta take him out of a game like yesterday. They needed his bat last night. Fortunately, they came back. Because I mean, who, and who wouldn't be happy they came back against the Yankees? But honestly, that's not gonna happen every night. So you need his bat in the lineup as much as possible. So you really kind of need to figure that part out. Mm-hmm. And he needs to be out in the field somewhere. All right, guys, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Yep. Thank you. So the thing about Baltimore to me is you never know really how good they're going to be. 
these guys are pretty hyped about him. I think James and his partner there. I felt like both these guys were really higher than I thought they would ever remotely would be. I mean, seriously, why would they be so high on a team that, in my view, underachieved last year? And for me, both Glenn and James were just looking forward, looking ahead. They think that this is really, to me, they, I get the sense that they, they, they think they're the team to beat. In my view, it all rests on Lamar Jackson's shoulder, especially with, with your injury there at the running back position. And, I mean, listen, J.K. Dobbins is going to be a big piece there. And I know Dobbins, firsthand, being an Ohio State guy, he is really kind of a, a guy you run things through. Not as much Lamar Jackson as you think. If you have a good running game at that position, your quarterback, the stress comes off him. Now we're looking back at Lamar Jackson to make things happen in both ways. And I'm not sure how that's going to work. I'm not sure how much he's evolved. I think Lamar Jackson's a fantastic player, by the way. But this is the year we're going to see how much he's evolved as a player, especially now that you have Pittsburgh and Cleveland, who are legit threats in your own division. Cleveland's not a joke anymore. I'm just really curious how this division pans out. Oh, and by the way, Cleveland could totally crash and burn this year. One of the most talented teams in the league and could crash and burn. So the AFC North to me is a fantastic, fascinating division to watch. And I cannot wait to see how this thing pans out. Okay, so folks, that is our Toronto League episode for tonight. Got a little bit on the Rams as well. Looking more tomorrow to see if anything else comes out as this roster begins to settle and begins to, to move towards the weekend. We're just a few days away from opening night. Can't wait, man. I can't wait to see fans in SoFi. I can't wait to see how the Rams do against what I think is going to be a tough Bears team. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. All right. Follow us on Twitter at TalkRams. Follow me on Twitter at DCApollo. We'll talk to you guys next time out. Have a great one. We're out of here.